Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Tailboard Misfits podcast. I'm your host, Heath Meredith, joined with my co-host, Gunnar Michelli. Hey, guys. What's up? All right, y'all. Well, uh, last time when we had to cut out of here and get going pretty quick to get to the doctor and find out what the baby was, and we got news, it's a little girl. So uh, that'll be five little girls in our household, and yep, apparently I'm a pretty good girl, Dad, says the good Lord. That's rough. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I'm getting good at it, but... Uh, Anyway, well, we're back. We uh, took a couple of weeks. Our uh, work schedules weren't really lining up, and uh, we had to get our shifts worked out and get back together. So sorry for the delay on having another show, but uh, we uh, we're getting it. We just uh, it's hard to balance shifts and overtime and everything else. But we wanted to tell, let everybody know that uh, we're loving all the feedback. We've been getting messages and comments from people from. South Carolina, Pennsylvania, San Antonio, Texas, I mean, all over the place. So the feedback has been awesome. Um, we really appreciate all the love and support. Uh, joined a couple of forums on Facebook, a couple of different groups and whatnot for different fire groups and everything like that. So been trying to get the word out. And, and basically, man, we've been spreading like crazy. Um, it's been awesome. The views on the show has gone up probably about four times since, since the last recording. So uh, y'all keep sharing and liking us on Facebook. Uh, we've got some of our samples in for some of our apparel. Uh, now we are working on, on separating all that and, and getting the orders going as far as for, for what exactly we want with color schemes and all that. So y'all stay tuned and on the website and uh, we, we won't be very far out from being able to start shipping stuff. And No, not at all. And we'll let y'all know when it comes closer to time. Uh, when we're going to release things so we'll do some advertising and marketing for that so y'all know for sure um some of the stuff gunner's been working on doing some pretty cool designs it's that's very original and kind of uh kind of for us it fits firemen a little bit of dark stuff yeah and uh so it's, it's pretty cool but yeah y'all just check out the website um and then just keep keep sharing getting the word out that's it man that's it let's jump into it we're gonna give a uh give a huge shout out Right now, uh, currently going on the last day or two, has been the five-year anniversary for Hurricane Harvey that uh, pretty much wrecked the entire coast of Texas. Um, and I just want to give a shout-out to everybody, all the first responders and, and everything that responded to that. It was nuts, to say the least. Um, we were busy. Yeah, that situation changed the whole dynamic of y'all's <laughs> industry over there. It's, it's just a wild story. Yeah, it uh, it was pretty nuts. Um, in the station for about eight days, um, and I, I just got to say, I worked with some of the best people imaginable as far as firemen could be. I mean, we we got rocked. Uh, even the station I was even in, we got flooded in. Uh, we lost lost. Uh, I think it hit the the hurricane itself hit the Houston area a little after midnight on Saturday night. Um, so early Sunday morning. And very first water rescue <laughs> right out of the gate, we ended up uh, losing a pumper. They got caught in a, in a legit flash flood um, slash tornado water spout that came through and water ran through the windows on the pumper with the crew mm. uh, stuck out there. They were stuck basically on the feeder road off the I-10, um, east I-10 coming out of Houston. And, uh, man, it was pretty crazy. And uh, they, had, they had to be saved themselves <laughs> rescue the rescuers type deal but um yeah the whole the whole experience was was nuts and i i just 
I still to this day am super proud of all the all the folks, all the men and women that I worked with uh, during that because, I mean, it was it was countless hours, countless water rescues, just going and going and going and going nonstop. Um, and in the meantime, a, a lot of the people that were on my crew, you know, they're getting phone calls from at home. Their own homes and stuff are flooded. So not only are they out here killing it, trying to, to do their job 150%, completely exhausted, uh, little food, just all that. But then they're also knowing the back of their mind, hell, they got to go home and put their own home back together, find their family, you know, all, the, all that kind of stuff. And, and it was just the, uh, the level of dedication stuff I saw from, from the people that I worked with was absolutely phenomenal. Yep. And so now I'm ready to hear the... <laughs> Not so good things that happen. So, yeah, some of the leadership lessons. So Gunnar and I talked a lot about it, and um, you know, Harvey was it was a huge turning point um, for everyone really involved with that. Uh, up until that point, I don't know why. I'm just going to go ahead and uh, and educate the entire public on how flooding works. When you have a mass metroplex, huge population area like Houston, Texas, or even Beaumont, and you New Orleans from back, you know, Katrina time. But when you build a massive city at fucking sea level and then you cover every inch of ground with concrete from development and more development and more development, concrete doesn't absorb water. So this whole narrative that I heard for 10 damn years, oh, you know, we don't we don't need flood this. You don't need all the water training and all. We don't need all that equipment, everything. It just completely debunked. Darren Harvey and I think that was a huge a huge lesson for the politicians and for the for the fire chiefs that thought that they knew it all that um yeah stuff might have might not have flooded in the past but when you cover everything with concrete and it only has one spot to run to and that's through the bayous straight into either the port of Houston or into the Gulf it takes time for that water to go and when it's coming through your neighborhood sitting on concrete it just gets deeper and deeper and deeper mm-hmm. so um you know, engineers try to tell you that. That's why they build retaining ponds. That's why they build the bayous. But eventually, you, there's nowhere for the water to go. So with that being said, um, we're just going to kind of talk about uh, some of the tactics, some of the things that happen. Um, there has been a lot of lessons learned. I'm not, I'm not going to say that, that the departments and stuff are still functioning the way that they did, but I don't want it to slide back into that level of complacency, that level of oh, well, I know everything, and we haven't done it in 10 years, so it's not going to happen to me type shit, because that's exactly what was going on. Um, and it happened all over the area. I mean, very, very, very few departments were prepared. Um, they hadn't had a, a massive flood like that since the uh, mid-'90s or something like that. Um, I should have looked to say. I don't remember what the name of the hurricane was. So we had Hurricane Ike. Um, which basically is what is what kicked off my career. Um, I was in fire academy whenever Hurricane Ike hit Galveston. And basically our local department here kind of sucked us in as cadets, and they, they were basically using us as gophers because they were, they were trying to prep for the storm. They knew it was coming, and, you know, they used us. Um, they pulled us out of class. We went and helped at the EOC. Um, kind of getting familiar with all that stuff, which it was actually really cool because being a you know brand new cadet and you're coming in and you're trying to learn like what ICS is, what FEMA is, all this, and then you get to sit in on the on the conference calls with the damn governor and the directors of FEMA and all this stuff and all the prep work that was going on that the department here was doing. It was pretty awesome, so I got to learn all that, you know, basically day one in my career essentially. Um, so then fast forward going into into Harvey. 
Um, I had already been through the tax day floods, which hit Houston in 2016. Um, those were, I think, what they called 500-year floods. So shit that shouldn't flood did, but it was because of the massive development. No one was prepared for that. Um, so then a year later, that was, I mean, that was in the spring for 16. So then coming in summer of 17, you know, you're a little, little more than a year out from that. You think that people would have took those lessons learned and been like, okay, yeah, we got to buy high water vehicles. We've got to buy boats. We got to get people trained on how to use that shit. Did we? No. Everybody's like, oh, it's never, we had that. That was a fluke thing. It's not going to happen again. We're good. Let's focus on, on, uh, you know, our primary fire suppression and, and EMS, which is fine. That is the primary job of pretty much every fire department. But when someone calls 911, it doesn't matter what the emergency is. It's the fire department's job to figure the shit out. Absolutely. Um, no matter what it is, whether it's freaking off-the-wall stuff, whatever, that's our job. So you kind of have to be prepared at all times. You can't have that, oh, it'll never happen, because hope is not a tactic. <laughs> um, it makes no sense but a lot of a lot of departments and a lot of chiefs and a, and a lot of cities and politicians they don't ever want to plan for the what if well that's exactly what harvey was it was a what if holy shit everything sucks and um so you know just kicking off how that whole deal so we got called in um got called in early i believe on friday um my normal shift i think was on saturday so, so i came down a day early um, Harvey is expected to make landfall on that Saturday. Um, so we get called in. Um, being as I had already been through through some floods, through some hurricanes and pretty bad storms and stuff like that, I uh, called my crew. I was a captain, and I called my crew. They were, they were uh, a younger group. And I was like, hey, you know, you need to bring, bring some dry goods, canned food, you know, all the kind of shit that, that you don't have to have a refrigerator for. Um, get a case of water for yourself if you want to bring some additional water or whatever, but you need to bring enough to make yourself self-sufficient for three to four days. Okay, boom. So, of course, me, I'm, you know, loading up. I'm loading chainsaws in my truck. I'm loading literally everything I can imagine we could possibly use because you never know. I mean, that's, that's what I want people to really take from this. Talking about hurricanes, talking about massive storms, you don't know. And when you're the fire department, there's no one else coming. You are it. Um, your job is get the citizens taken care of and getting out. But but that's at the expense of you. That's at your sacrifice. That's I mean, it's your job. That you're it. Um, as we will find out later throughout this story, that's that's the case. So uh, anyway, we go down. We're loaded up. I go to my normal station. We have a couple briefings with the fire chief. Um, I'm sitting there with a battalion chief, uh, who was a great guy. Ran, ran ran a really good shift at the time. Um, this he he was a part time um, battalion chief, but basically he reaches out to the fire chief and is like, "Hey, you know, we got all this coming down. We got these extra extra manpower coming in. Are you are you planning on getting some station water, station food, stuff like that?" Oh no, no, absolutely not. I'm not. That's misappropriation of funds. I'm not spending taxpayer money to buy all that kind of stuff. They need to be responsible for their own food. So I was like, okay, here we go. I mean, this is how we're starting this incident. It's you're responsible for yourself. Okay, cool. I'm grown. You don't have to tell me twice, whatever. So I tell the battalion chief, I'm like, hey, you know, well, we're going to go to Walmart. So we run over to Walmart, and uh, it looks like some 
doomsday prepper stuff. You know, we saw it with the with the COVID shit and everybody running and buying toilet paper. It was literally like that. It looked like some Walking Dead or World War Z. I mean, the place is packed. People are buying buying up everything. I mean, that's just, it's panic mode when you, when there's a massive storm coming in like that. People are not prepared ahead of time like they should be. Um, education point: buy your shit now and put it in a closet for you and your family because the day before a storm is not the day to go to Walmart. Okay, people. But uh, anyway, so that's what's happening. We're going in there and we buy a, a good bit of stuff out of our own pockets and whatnot to basically to load up the station. Go back to the station, getting ready, going over to just some basic stuff um, with some of the crew members because, I mean, we have people that are fresh out of fire. I mean, you know, they're 20, 21 years old. They haven't been through a storm like this, um, working in this, con- you know, kind of conditions and whatnot. So going over all that, well, uh, Saturday is supposed to make landfall, and it doesn't. That's kind of whenever it got hung up around um, – little north like corpus christi area all that and it just rocked that um i mean that whole area i think it was trying to remember what the name of that area was but basically just disintegrated everything down around corpus christi and um then it started kind of coming northeast rolling up the coast well the way harvey was it was it was a really weird storm because it would make landfall and then it the you know however the weather works but it would rotate back and go back into the gulf and then it would make landfall again and then rotate back into the Gulf. Well, every time it'd go back out in the Gulf, it'd get stronger. And it was basically yo-yoing onto, onto the land. And that, I mean, that's ultimately, that's what ended up devastating Houston because it would come in on Houston and just rain and rain and rain and rain and just dump everything it could on it. And then it'd go back in the game and it end up doing this for like three or four days. But it made landfalls further south. So our chief was like, okay, well, it's not going to hit Houston. We're good. He sent all the additional manpower home. At this point, it's Saturday, so I'm on shift. It's my normal shift. Um, so the additional manpower gets sent home. We rock on business as usual. Then it ends up coming up. Um, and, of course, hits us late late Saturday night, early Sunday morning. Um, at some point, honestly a lot of that stuff is a blur you know they talk about fog of war and stuff like that well whenever you're up for that long even with the fire department and your adrenaline's going and you're running back-to-back calls and everything is just chaotic um, my timeline is pretty good but there is certain things that i can't 100 percent remember so at some point during saturday i get moved out to one of the substations basically myself and another captain we're going to split that because the way the district was um it could take just a little bitty rain and our district had a bayou that would overflow and it would split our, our, our fire department's district in two and you couldn't travel back and forth. So the chief sent me over to go with another captain and we were basically um, going to run that district as uh, district chiefs and we would rotate off on who was making the calls and the other one would be in the district chief ride and we would just kind of run it like that. And we had our crews over there still because um, there was a huge potential for for massive flooding there because um, some of the major bayous that run through Houston run through that area before they dump into the port of Houston. And um, so I go over there at some point. Well, first rescue call comes out around 2 in the morning, um, Sunday morning, and <laughs> that's the one they end up flooding the pumper on. And we're like, oh, crap, here we go. So, man, it was probably, I don't know, half a day or longer for that crew to finally be able to make it back to the station in a different apparatus 
um, they had to end up leaving. They left that one throughout the entire storm and and everything like that, and it ended up having to leave on a record because it was totally trashed. <coughs> but um, so they get back. Well, we start running back to back to back. Water rescues, you know, people trapped in a house. Um, I don't think anybody really left. Uh, like citizens wise, they didn't evacuate like they should have per se because it hit further south. So everybody was like, all right, you know, we're good in Houston. We rock on. Well, I, I don't remember for sure which day it was, but uh, let me think about it. I want to say it was Tuesday. Um, sometime around Tuesday, we even get to the point where we're, we're in a bad bind at my station. My station ended up going underwater. Um, we basically got, it got to the point where the water was so deep in the station, we couldn't get our pumper out. Um, so we were shut down on operations. The chief pulled the plug on it and didn't allow us to go out anymore. Now, I won't name any names on anyone that um, was with me, but uh, <laughs> we didn't stop operations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, not, that's not in my character. And we still have, so we're literally sitting at the station and citizens are coming up in their personal boats because, I mean, as everybody saw all over national news, we had all kinds of you know private boat owners that were out there i mean they were they were the real heroes in this entire deal because like i said no departments or very few departments were actually prepared for storm response Uh, the department i was at had no boats we had no high water vehicles the chief had been adamant about um, we do not do swift water we do not do water rescues that is not what we do Blah, blah 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 well guess what when a storm like that hits everybody does uh, I mean, it was so bad to the point we didn't even, our, our firemen and uh, our firefighters didn't even have life jackets. Um, they were that, we were that ill-equipped. No matter how much other people had tried to tell him, like, hey, this, you know, we need to do this. No, we're not doing it. Absolutely not. Okay. Well, that's cool. Well, some of us that had swift water training, we had our personal crap. And, um, you know, when you have citizens coming up, beating on the station door, like, hey, you know, down on this road, there's people trapped in the attic. Down this road, there's people trapped in a car. Man, you go. Chief can't get to you anyway. The district's splitting too. He's over there sitting in the swivel chair, literally worried about being on the phone and acting important with the EOC for the county. He didn't know what the hell we were doing. So um, we took care of our community the best we could. And uh, it got to the point, I believe it was, I want to say it was Tuesday, Tuesday night, somewhere around in there. Um, our station, of course, went underwater. We just went upstairs in the living quarters. We, it was overnight. We didn't even know what we were going to wake up to. I mean, it got to the point where we were the ones in need of saving. And, and like I said, at that point, when the fire department's in the bind, there's no one coming. Mm-hmm. And um, so we just kind of accepted it. We're like, <laughs> we're going to go upstairs and hang out. And we might be here in the morning. We might not. We don't know. The bayou kept coming up and up and up behind the station. And uh, we were just kind of riding out basically to find out what happened. Um, in the morning what kind of a bad situation we were in or or not well the next morning uh, sometime during the next morning the uh, a group of marines out of out of San Antonio end up coming on their zodiacs and they end up getting us out of the station and and we end up going and running with them for probably a little over a day or something like that Um, and it was basically them they allowed us the ability because they had the proper equipment they allowed us the ability to continue on with our jobs 
And uh, man, those guys are freaking awesome. <laughs> it was uh, I had the the gunny sergeant come up to me and and uh, was like, "You in charge?" I'm like, "Yeah." <laughs> and he's like, "All right, well, I want to go to the, the worst, worst flooded, highest possible damage area um, that that we could have people." And you know, I point out the um, one of the streets that was that butted up to one a really bad bayou that the name ended up getting dropped on national news a lot because that's where pretty much our area. Um, us in the neighboring department per capita we had the highest death rate in all of harvey um so there was lots of people mm-hmm. not not making it throughout that area um some that were trying to be rescuers um for the next next couple of weeks you know we were finding people that were um in boats and whatnot that ended up they were trying to rescue people and, and help and be you know just good citizens and and everything and, and help their neighbor and they ended up losing their life because of it um which I'll get to that, but that that took a, a huge toll on, on a lot of my coworkers. Um, but uh, yeah, we go and <laughs> it was pretty cool, man. We did some scary stuff because it got to be dark, and you know, in massive flooding like that, there's no power. So we had all kinds of, of crazy stuff. Uh, you know, there was people shooting at at firemen on our on our boat teams and stuff. You're going through there. We ended up. So we would have like a, a crew of Marines and then um, two firemen per boat. And then we had to have a state official and some of these dudes like, I don't know if they were for the state or if they flew them in from Afghanistan or what, but they look like some freaking Navy SEALs. You know, they're all decked out full stuff and, and uh, ARs and everything because there was people shooting. I mean, there was a ton of looting going on and, and all that kind of, you know, just bad horror story stuff that you hear. Um, but that was happening. And so we're going down, going to these apartment complexes, three, four, five-story apartment complexes that are built right on the water, um, right on the bayou. And they're, they're underwater, like first, some of the second story is completely completely underwater. Well, there's still people on the third and fourth. Um, and so the way this one apartment, was, it was uh, probably the sketchiest thing that we did as far as, as swimming goes. The gunny sergeant and I uh, go in, and the way it was, the apartment's kind of designed is the... Uh, the parking area was right here where you had to go down some steps to go down to the first floor and of course all the stairs are like the exposed stairs you know where mm-hmm. they're on the outside of the apartments well all of them have burglar bar set up on them so you can't just go even if the water level's here you can't just go straight to the second story and swimming in the water because it's burglar bar so you got to swim down to the first story to go through the gate to come back up so he's like, you want to? And I was like, man, we don't have a choice. You know, we got 911 calls coming in from this apartment complex. So we got to basically go check status on these people. So he's like, okay, cool. Well, let's do it. So <laughs> we swim in and swim down, you know, swim down as far as you can until you kind of find where the staircase is and, and go in, in the stairs and whatnot. And then you come back up. We go up there and we go knocking on some doors and stuff and, and pull some people out, out of those apartments and have to swim them back out the same way, put them in the boats and take them out. And, um, it, it was cool, like, just seeing uh, – that was my first time really interacting with Marines, man. And y'all are a different breed. Y'all ain't scared of shit. <laughs> yeah, a lot of reservists, so I'll give them some credit, but they, they weren't us. <laughs> <laughs> well, they were, uh, they were pretty badass for us, man. They were pretty badass. I, uh, I was highly impressed. Um, Good. Even, even whenever – I mean, shots are ringing out. Um, you know, they back down a bit. It was like, hey, let's do it. You know, we got 911 calls coming. Uh, one of the coolest things, I say coolest, um, it was sketchy. It made me think like I was definitely in a war zone or something, um, which was new for me. But uh, So my assistant chief 
was a badass man. He was he was so cool. But he was running. He was basically running as a district chief in one of the flooded areas that they had like huge uh, retail stuff. Like there was a Kroger's and a bunch of shopping centers and all this. Well, we're flying in. You know, I'm sure you saw it on the news and stuff. We're flying in helicopters, landing Chinooks, Blackhawks, uh, Coast Guard, heli- all this shit. We're landing it, flying people out because there's no way to get them anywhere. So they were. Um, Put them on a helicopter, then flying them to the freeway, then putting them on buses and sending them to shelters where they needed to. But as far as that, you know, a couple miles in between those points, you had to fly them on a helicopter. So it was pretty crazy as far as that goes. But I'll never forget, we're sitting there listening to the radio, and the sister chief comes over, and uh, they were landing a Chinook and, uh, in the middle of the Kroger's parking lot. Now, I have to say, I never been, I've seen them at air shows and stuff like that, or see them flying over, you know, when you're by a, by a military base. Those are the coolest damn things. Oh, they're cool, man. <laughs> they're so cool. And then he also gave me a whole different, um, sadly, respect for uh, you know people in the Middle East, like Taliban and stuff like that, because I'm like, if one of those is landing on the top of my damn mud hut, I'm not running out shooting at it. I mean, the level of power that those have is absolutely insane. You can just feel, I mean, they shake the damn earth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what we used to fly in Afghan and stuff. You know, that's how we yeah. transported yeah, that's what blew my mind because I'm like, damn, them Taliban and stuff, like that's, they definitely have a different mindset because those, I mean, there was just no joke. And they could land in the water. They would land in the water, load people up, and then take off, you know, waters all the way up in the deck and stuff. And they just take off like nothing. I'm like, holy crap. So the stuff you see on TV, you're actually getting to live it. Um, and that's one of the cool things about being a fireman is you get to do shit that really is in movies, mm-hmm. you know. And um, so it was just a really cool experience getting to do all that. But anyways... So they're landing helicopters in the, in the Kroger's parking lot, and <laughs> Chief comes over the radio, and he's like, um, you know, I'm not going to say his number or whatever, but he's like, you know, uh, assistant chief to dispatch. He's like, be advised, uh, they're looting Kroger's. And at that point, there was like a vehicle had drove through the front doors of Kroger's to knock it open, and they're going in there stealing everything they can. They wasn't bolted down in Kroger's, and just, I mean, complete chaos. Um but that was all going on. I, I just always thought that was really cool because that, that was my biggest experience with dealing with all those different types of helicopters and mm-hmm. just their sheer power. It was, it was pretty phenomenal. But, uh, yeah, all in all, it, uh, you know, we get back, and uh, one of the big things that, that my, my station was very responsible about and, and myself and the other captain were pretty adamant on, the, on all the crew members. We're like, hey, you know, you get back out of this water um, – Take a shower. I don't care if it's a cold shower or whatever. Take a shower, get some soap on you, dawn, whatever, and wash off. Well, um, that saved a lot of our guys from from all the nasty exposures and everything mm-hmm. like that. So that's another education point of all this. When you're in flood water, as soon as you get out and you have the ability to do strip, you know, strip your clothes off, all that kind of stuff, and and take a shower because there's a lot a lot of nasty stuff in that flood water that people don't really think about. Um, you know, you see pictures all the time of, of kids and stuff playing in flood water when cities will flood and all that, and it's just it's not a good idea because there's some pretty nasty stuff. Yeah, especially in Houston. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you just think about all the all the crap in people's garages and sewer lines and all that stuff. That's all in the water. So a lot of people don't know that. They just think it's like playing in the rain, and it's really not. It's a totally different ballgame. Um, but uh, we were pretty adamant, adamant about that with our crew, and they ended up getting well at the other station, you know, where the head fire chief was. Huh, those crew members didn't get that luxury. Uh, he was running running things a whole lot different, and and that's where I'm going to kind of get into uh, 
lessons learned on this man poor leadership during harvey i personally know know several people several different departments man it wrecked their career they're no longer even in this business um and that that's been pretty hurtful for me because uh they were phenomenal they were phenomenal people um stepping up and doing things you know they got to worry about their own families at home like i said earlier and and they they were handling it all and just just poor leadership across the board um horrible tactics horrible operations um and we you know i just i witnessed people that uh you know like that simple crap like they weren't they weren't allowed to shower when they got back they had to do per se station duties <laughs> to meet the chief's needs when they get back from being in the water for 15 hours shit like that um you know, one of the things, like I said earlier, you know, the chief didn't want to buy food and didn't want to buy water and all this kind of stuff. Well, after a few days, those surpluses that the, the crew members brought or bought when they first got on, that shit was gone. These guys went a while without even having any food. And, um, you know, one of the things that set me off to, and to this day, um, I don't see how anyone is okay with it or can even back that individual because... You know, when the stress is on and the chaos is there, people show their true colors. They show whether they actually care about you or don't or whatever, or if it's all about them. That's when they show it. And, um, you know, when your crew members are asking to, to run. So so after a few days, you know, some of the fast food places, pizza places and whatnot, they were able to get there. They started um, making food for first responders only. Trying, you know, for one, they had to get rid of the food because it was going to perish. But for two, they were trying to do their part and take care of the the people that are out there working and uh you know that that crew in particular kept getting said you know they weren't allowed to go do this they weren't allowed to go do that because in danger of flooding the pumper and everything but whenever the uh when the chief can go on his chief ride up to the water burger or whatever and then walks back in the station in front of all the crew that's sitting there soaking wet with himself some food and doesn't get them food it tells you everything you need to know about an individual. That's so fucked up. <laughs> so fucked up. Um, yeah. It, and that's what I'm saying. Like, even to this day, my thought of anyone supporting that individual, holy shit. I mean, you just... it. Well, and so, like, it was found out by the assistant chief, who, like I said earlier, he was running another district. He flooded his own truck, ran his own personal truck through deep water to go get that crew food and brought them you know a stack full of pizzas and stuff just insane um so he stepped up for the lack of the other one um and looking back at it now there there should have just been people should have put him in his place he never let beside going to getting himself some food he wasn't out there in the water you know he, oh, no. he was sitting there on the phone on the radio basically bugging the shit out of people but he you know it just and I, I say all this because it wasn't just the department I was a part of. It was a lot of departments. The chiefs wanted to look important to their coworkers and to the politicians that write their check. It hadn't. There was no support for the for the men and women in the water. None. Um, and like you know, there were some departments they did phenomenal as far as that goes. The you know the chief stepped up, but it just there was a huge desperation, and, and you could watch on the news and see. And anybody that ran out, any department that ran out in the next, you know, six months to a year right after Harvey and did a bunch of oh shit purchases, 
buying boats, buying high water vehicles, getting pallets of MREs, all that kind of shit, <laughs> that shows how guilty they were. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the citizens themselves, there was a lot of accountability that came down from this. Um, I know f- several <laughs> that, uh, several departments that the citizens showed up at the, at the board meetings, at the city council meetings, uh, you know, city of Houston, the citizens were like, you know, why, why did Houston fire department not have adequate equipment to be out doing all these water rescues? I mean, it was, there was a lot of accountability that came down and I love it mm-hmm. because that's exactly, if, if community members got involved and held the people, shitty fire chiefs wouldn't be able to hide basically. Um, because there's so much of the boardroom talk that goes on that doesn't involve the community, that doesn't involve involve the firefighters. It's all about what the people sitting at that big table in the boardroom want, um, and that's on on an every day to day basis. You know, you have some departments that they really need more med units, but instead we're going to buy some more chief rides, or we're going to buy a new ladder truck, or whatever to make it to make the department look cooler, but the functionality, hey, these guys over here on the ambulance are getting their asses ran. We need two or three more ambulances, really. That's what we need for operations-wise, not more look cool shit. Um, I never saw a chief's ride load up a patient. Ride, load up a patient, take it to the hospital, you know, anything like that. Um, so we, we got to get out of a mindset, this next generation, let's take care of the, of the operational stuff first and foremost. All of the... You know, the auxiliary, I, I understand that there's certain things you need when it comes to ISO and, and um, you know, of course, administrative staff, I understand their need, fire marshal, I understand their need for need vehicles for response and all that kind of stuff. But if your baseline apparatus is not 100% or more, you know, that's where you need to be pouring your money to. And then when it comes to areas of high potential for incidents, that's where I go into all this with Harvey. I mean, you know, the Houston, whole Gulf Coast area, all the way to Florida. Hurricanes is a constant threat. So any department that their response area butts up with the water, water is going to be an issue of yours at some time. So I don't see how you can even have that argument, oh, we never do that. No, you don't on a regular basis. No, I'll give you that. But at some point, you very well could, and there's a high probability that you will. So send those guys to swift water school i mean it keep at least keep some people on your staff trained up for those kind of incidents um it's like being you know saying in the beaumont texas area it's refinery central there's a plant everywhere to say oh no we're never gonna do hazmat never never gonna do hazmat we're not gonna pour any money in that we're not gonna send anybody hazmat i mean it's like really at some point (laughs) You're going to come across something that could be hazmat. Yeah, and that's the thing. To me, every five years is on a regular basis. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, we've been pretty well on a five to to ten-year turnaround on a massive storm over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so, it's yeah, it doesn't even make sense to even try to have that argument, honestly. So, prior to Harvey, did y'all have any kind of – did you have any kind of mission briefing or anything like that where it's y'all – as a department, have a sit down, even with the, all the, you know, surrounding departments, have a sit down and kind of pre-plan this, and um, have a good mission basis to in direction where y'all needed to go. If this happened, if this happened, and this happened, uh, no, it was it was pretty well. 
straight cowboy shit. And truthfully, I think um, I think that was a lot. You know, last episode we hammered hard on experience. Um, truthfully, I think that was a lot of it. The Chiefs in my area, they can all claim, you know, years of service. Everybody can do that, years of service. But does that mean that you had the actual tactical and operational experience during that actual storm? Some of them might have. I don't really know, but it might have been 10, 20 years before that, and I, I can't even tell you what their response was for that back then. Um, they probably can't. And so now they're in this, this leadership position with essentially little to no experience. So, yeah, I mean, there was no – I can tell you being at the officer level, there was zero sit down. This is going to be what we're going to do. This is our plan. We know this is our flood areas. Um, these are the areas of concern that we have to start with, and then we'll build upon. There was none of that. Um, as far as I remember or can verify, there was maybe three of us in the whole department that had swift water training. Mm-hmm. Um and we brought our shit from home, like I said. But, um, no, there was no mission briefing. Uh, there wasn't really any SOGs. The only thing that was said to us is we do not do swift water rescue. That's nuts. I had an old CO tell me, planning is essential, but plans are useless. And I, if you really think about it, it's really true. I mean, you can plan and plan and plan and train all the time that you want, but they all go to shit. Uh, but um, you just have to have that, you know, small found foundation of at least knowing what you're getting into mm-hmm. and uh having that sense of direction and that's why sogs and sops are designed they're not end all be all they're just guidelines to you know certain aspects and certain things you know where you can kind of go left or right yeah it depends on which chief you have if he lets <laughs> you do that but at least for us that's how it's designed in the military that's how it's designed here in the fire department i work for they're just not hey you will do this in such a robotic matter you know because in this line of work, things are very dynamic. Mm-hmm. And you have to be a dynamic individual to be able to sort these things out. And that's, man, I remember I remember coming in, that was really hit home. It was all about you, as a fireman, you, your main, one of the main things that you need to figure out pretty quick how to do is problem solve. Because that's what you are. You're a problem solver. Whether it's somebody having a medical problem, you're there to solve it. Mm-hmm. A fire is a problem. I mean, every you're, people will call you because, you know, their water line busts in their house. You're there to solve that problem. I mean, that is what your job is, is to fix people's problems that they don't know how to do, whether it's a super emergency or not. And so when it comes to stuff like that, yeah, you you got to have some sort of plan in place. And um, I think just a lot of people got in over their heads yeah. on that. Um, but we're also way too willing uh, or what, not willing enough to um, – to put their ego aside and realize that they're not the end all be all that they're in over their head and that's okay you don't have to know everything um but ask if you got guys in the room with you hey y'all all been through four five six floods you done swift water what's some things that y'all might think we need or things we need to do things we need to prep for i think the i do remember the day of i think we did a little bitty training with um with the firefighters on how to throw a rope bag like from the ground that's nuts from dry ground throw a rope bag like we did that as a as a prep like that's i mean i you need to know how to do that yeah and i get that but the likelihood of actually doing that in that kind of situation no no and that's why you know the chain of command kind of stopped them out the window i mean it's still structured in the way that it is as for respect and rank 
but everyone at the end of the day is still a team. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if your ego is too big to ask guys that are experienced in this matter of how to help her, dude, you could take it and run with it and claim the glory if you want to. But you're not even willing to ask if you need this help for the situation that you have no experience in. Right. And that's what I find kind of nuts and find it cr- crazy. You just take the credit and run with it. They don't care. Yeah, when yeah, you're going to be the one go stand in front of the mayor, not the fire department. Yeah, you know, so. you're you're it. You're the representative. So whether it's a success on us or a failure on us, that's on your shoulders. Yeah. And uh, yeah, that's what I'm saying. It, it for a lot of the departments, man, they got held accountable by the by the citizens. And how some of them kept a job, I'll never know to this day because there was some serious screw ups. But um, it just it, it makes no sense to to try to micromanage that's really what it came down to yeah. just a lot of micromanagement so yeah i mean just just be honest mm-hmm. and be like hey you know this is kind of out of my realm anybody know what's going on all right well let's run with that and if it if it breaches like a major safety issue then that's a totally different story but i could tell you what um what bothered me is at some point when basically the apparatus got to the point that there was too much of an endangerment for for the apparatus getting messed up. We uh, we got shut down during that time period. We had around two hundred and fifty nine one one calls come in. And we're shut down. Can't do anything. Told not to go out. So after it's all said and done, uh, and the water receded, and we kind of went back to not a hundred percent just running 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 just chaos mode basically then we get tasked with hey we had all these these 911 calls that were holding that we didn't answer so i'm gonna need you to go clear those houses and make sure that there's nobody dead in them so that we don't get sued because we didn't answer the phone the 911 call so then i go knocking on doors it was two 200 around around 250 i think something like that it was nuts um but myself and some others had to go knock on doors and check up on all these 911 calls, which I get it. You can't answer every single call. But just the sheer fact that now, because we know we fucked up, now we're CYA. And for all you that don't know, that means cover your ass. <laughs> <laughs> but you literally, that I mean, that was 100%. That was what it was. It was like, okay, well, our response was completely inadequate. I now have to face that. So now we're going to cover our ass on every basis. So going back to the story of him trying to, you know, get the crew that. So did just so I have my story straight, was it just y'all's crew was told to stay in the house or was it the crew that was with the big chief? Um, well, we were still we were told to stay, stay in the, in the house because uh, our station was specifically flooded. They were still out running. OK, because, yeah, they were in a completely different district. They were still running. I mean, they were in the water. They were in the water constantly. Um, and uh, I couldn't even tell you how many how many calls because we weren't even in contact. Like we would, I would come back in because some of those folks were my normal crew. So I would come back into the station. I didn't even carry my phone on me. And a lot of people were like, you don't have any cool pictures? I'm like, no, I didn't have it because you're soaked. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was completely drenched for days on end. So I didn't have my phone. So I get back to the station, you know, text the family and just give them an update. It's kind of funny now. I see the memories on my on my Facebook and whatnot. My, I would give a crew update every time I came back to the station to check my phone. And it would just, reading it, 
now I kind of giggle because I'm like, man, I could tell I was fried because it was just like very matter of fact. Crew good, back at station, like that was it. And normally my Facebook posts are a little elaborate, you know. Yeah. But um, I, I would check in with those other crew, and they're like, you know, we're good, but we're doing this, or we've been doing that, blah, 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 blah. It would just go on. So, yeah, they were they stayed running. Um, they stayed running. So it would just uh, – it was it was pretty crazy. So going into, like, a mentality standpoint after all this uh, happened, what did you take away from it that kind of set on you as – you know, through the days and probably to, you know, day you die that you think about if reflecting on that incident. Um, I mean, I do think about it not a whole lot, but it does like, you know, there'll be things that will pop up and be like, oh, yeah. Um, but really the biggest, the biggest thing for me was the, the just absolute lack of caring for those individuals out there risking it like i mean we see it on a normal day-to-day basis you know the politicians and stuff they they play money games and stuff with the firemen they don't want to get money for this station or they don't want to get money but and that's a normal battle that as fire departments and everything we have to deal with but when you're you're directly basically given given the impression that i don't give a fuck if y'all eat there's no coming back from that. And, I mean, that's why I said there's people that I know that were phenomenal, phenomenal firefighters. And they left the department, left the fire service completely. They said, how can we sit here and call ourselves a brotherhood? And that's the mentality. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really, really hit home with me. I was like, man, you know, uh, we're out here. It was a combination of just the absolute incompetence of prep, of preparation, um, and then the lack of caring for those individuals that are out there in the water, those individuals that are out there risking it, and then really the lack of care for the community. I mean, there's people I know of to this to this day. I, I could call and talk to them and stuff, and and it upset them. Like that was pretty much career ending for them. That citizens community members were out there in their little flat bottom boats having to step up to do our job because we're told oh we we can't risk tearing up a a, you know fire apparatus so y'all stay in the station and the citizens are out saving people and they died people drowned see that fucked me up so much in the head yeah just i could tell it probably would you too but well yeah considering that uh the way it ended up landing it was it was really kind of weird but the way it ended up landing is after it was all over so this is another little a little point on on the timeline um that i could go pretty in depth with so when all the storm and everything was over the way it ended up landing i don't know exactly what day it was and everything um but the way it ended up landing is once the storm was over and we were back into normal operational mode that very next day was my normal shift so we had people from the department that, like, some of the ones that got sent home, whenever we upstaffed and the storm didn't hit, they got sent home. They couldn't make it to us. So we had people that were trying to come in to come help us throughout the storm because we were running just a normal crew at that point, normal shift, normal shift manpower. They couldn't get to us. So they sat at home for seven, eight days. 
couldn't they couldn't make it in. They were trying to drive in, and just everything was flooded, so they weren't able to make it. Well, what's the answer to that? Suck it the fuck up. Well, yeah, I mean, no, we did. That was no issue. But instead of once the water's receded and once everything, hey, let's bring this manpower in and swap these crews off and send these other folks home. Hell no, it's your normal shift. Get to fucking work. So then we do all that stuff. Well, then our normal shift hits. We're back into running our normal calls and everything, but we're also having to do all the um, the decommissioning of hurricane operations, basically. So all the cleanup and all that kind of stuff. People are fried. People haven't slept in days. Haven't hardly ate. But we're not going to do that because we don't want to pay overtime on that all kind of stuff. No. So <clears throat> we, we basically didn't get a break is what I was getting at. But the way it landed at that point, then we're back on our regular rotation. Well, you know, after floods, um, fires pop off because all the electrical issues and or people that didn't have flood insurance because they lived in certain flood plains. So now we're going to burn our shit because – Flood insurance won't cover it, but fire insurance will. So we're going to burn it. So your fire load goes through the roof after a flood. I, I mean, I don't, that's, I don't know if that's common knowledge for a lot of people that don't deal with floods. But after a major flood, you deal with a lot of fires. So we, so the fires go. Body recoveries are going. And like one in particular, man, we had um, three brothers that were in a boat going down one of the bayous that were trying to go into some of these houses, two-story houses that were in the back of the neighborhood that backed up to that bayou, and they drowned. Mm. They hit a, an electrical line that, you know, stretched across, but the water was so deep it ended up, they got tangled up, their boat prop or whatever got tangled up in that, and they ended up drowning. I think one of them got actually electrocuted, and then the other two drowned. Um, and that messed with, with some of my crew, because they couldn't, they couldn't swallow the fact that these people died trying to do our job. Basically, is what it came down to, and you couldn't even have that conversation. Like the end all be all was in the swivel chair, and you couldn't even have that conversation. Um, there was zero zero acknowledgement of that of, of the community effect. Did your department, after everything was said and done, kind of sit down and have a debriefing moment and maybe have some mental help come in or? Oh, no, there wasn't any mental help, but I'll tell you what happened. Basically, the entire department was ready to fucking walk. Um, it was either walk or or there was going to be... Man, it wasn't pretty. I'm not going to lie, it wasn't pretty. Um, there was a lot of anger, a whole lot of anger. It was a lot of fatigue, but there was a lot of anger. And um, so we did end up having... We had a, a, our assistant chief that was phenomenal, and then we had a... Uh, uh, one of the deputy chiefs that was absolutely phenomenal. They came in and basically were like, hey, we're going to try to have basically an intervention on this shit. Like, everybody needs to get their feelings out exactly how they feel about everything that just transpired. And we took some some awesome notes during all that kind of, uh, all those meetings. Every shift had to sit down. And it was essentially a debriefing, but all that shit was logged. And um, I, I don't know exactly what all ended up happening with that. Uh, if me as a taxpayer, if I knew some of the things that were written down in that book, <laughs> be a damn lynch mob coming after whoever was the cause of those problems. But um, yeah, there wasn't there wasn't like a real you know formal um, critical stress management or anything like that that took place. Not at all. Yeah, but I'm glad your BC stood, you know stepped up to the plate and kind of took care of the guys. Mm-hmm. I mean. 
the situation like that, going back to what you're saying, you know, True Killer Show, but man, you hate to see it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's such a letdown. It is, and especially, you know, when it's your career and your livelihood and you you've made a bet, basically you bet your career on the success of said department, you know, wherever it is that you work. That's where you chose to go work. It's not like, you know, just a normal job where you can hop up and go somewhere else. You know, anytime you go to another fire, fire department, you got to completely start over. And uh, so whenever you've gotten yourself in that position, especially and you, you've worked your way up and you have some rank now and you're, you know, moving good in your career and you find out, holy shit, this is, this is what that's at the helm of this ship. <laughs> uh, it... It's a gut check, um, and and so I just looking at it all now. You know, I really uh, it's been five years, um, and I, I have ref- I reflected a lot on it in the beginning and stuff. I hadn't really thought about it in, in a while now. It just so happened that you know the memories and stuff are popping up, and people are sharing on Facebook and and all that. So I just kind of wanted to talk about it because. Uh, you know, it was some major operational failures that I think, as a whole, the fire service can learn from. Yeah. No, it was good that we talked about it because, you know, people up north and stuff, the guys that didn't come down really had no perspective of what happened. And they don't have hurricanes stuff like that. They have their own, you know, sort of emergencies <laughs> and stuff. But yeah. that, I mean, it's pretty legendary around here of what transpired. Like people from Louisiana, the Cajun Navy, everything else that came down to hell. Oh, it was nuts. It was crazy. <laughs> it would be like us trying to go to New York or something and deal with snowstorms. Yeah. You know, we'd be like, I don't have a clue. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to mess with that. I don't know how you deal with frozen hydrants and frozen uh, uh, hand lines. and all. I mean, that just sounds like a complete nightmare, but I would think that that's about the equivalent um, for, for having the floods down here mm-hmm. as far as just complete chaos. So, you know, it just... Uh, there was a, a lot that, that I think everybody learned from yeah. on that. I just want the, the next generation to really think about think about your area. You know, if like where we live, there's a lot of pine trees and a lot of pastures and stuff. So that'd be like us trying to say, oh, no, we never had wildfires. You know, you're just like, what, really? <laughs> so I mean, just because it hasn't happened to you right now, um, Pine trees burn, and they burn hot, and they burn fast, and so do pastures and you know grasslands, all that. So it just doesn't make sense. Whenever you live at at sea level, flooding is an issue. Um, so don't ever have the mentality as you you know. Um, there's nothing we can do about that older older generation of, of the chiefs and all that that were doing all that kind of stuff back then. But but for the next upcoming officers and all that, that's what, really what I want to hit home is. When you start getting into those ranks and start getting into those positions, it is your job to think about the what ifs, to plan for the the catastrophe. You don't have to have everything hammered down, like you're saying. You know, the plan plans are are great, but they don't always matter and they don't always work. But you can be like, okay, well, we're at sea level. There's a high probability for flooding. So just because it hasn't happened in ten years doesn't mean it won't ever happen. So we need to have something in the back of our minds where if this happens we can do A, B, and C to at least get going. And then we'll see what happens and, and what dictates at the time. But you have to be ready for that mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, that that was a huge lesson learned for me coming out of all that is is that was the that was the problem. I mean, just in, full instant wide. I'm not singling out any particular department. That was just my ex- exact experience with that department. But, I mean, it was all across the board. It was the city of Houston. I mean, there's been chiefs get on the news and just <laughs> – straight talk about 
their level of response was completely inadequate. And I mean, you're talking about one of the largest fire departments in the, in the country. So it was just across the board. And mm-hmm. I hope that a lot of people have learned the lessons, but this next generation, us moving up and everything, we have to keep those lessons in mind. So in 10 years, we're not making the same mistakes. We can make our own mistakes. Yeah, exactly. Um, but don't ever let your mistakes be not having proper equipment, not having proper training, and then not giving a shit about your people enough to even do basics like food and water. That's what gets me. That just blows my fucking mind. <laughs> like, what kind of person can you be? Oh, man. To transpire that. Yeah. And it, it just, that that was really, that was the biggest, that was pretty much my determining factor. I yeah, didn't. because you're dealing with a whole catastrophic mental situation already just to go be treated like shit, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it's just like getting punched left and right and pretty much, man, dude, it must have been rough. And, you know, you being a captain in a situation, you know, my experience, you know, in the Marines, you know, as a sergeant and stuff, my guys literally meant everything to me. I was hard on them, but they meant everything to me. Their mentality, their mentation, how they acted, their family life, everything. Like, I, you know, I wanted to make sure that it was okay because I literally looked at them as, you know, my brother's or my kids whatever because there's that much amount of love i had for him and um i couldn't imagine someone to be in that leadership role and not think the same other guys yeah it's uh it was a hard pill to swallow i mean it really was because that's how i mean i am that's that's your family mm-hmm. hell you're with them more than you are your own family yeah, most absolutely. of the time so yeah you should know absolutely everything about them and want to take care of them you're supposed to according to you know, the way that some of us still view the fire service, you'd be willing to die for that person. And that shouldn't matter for rank. Yeah, but how can that motherfucker do all that? Then, say if he, some catastrophic situation, he's got to be the guy to come save you? Yeah. Yeah, I have no yeah. I have no thoughts in the back of my mind that this guy's going to, you know, come in on a writ team and pull my ass out. Fuck no. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, I go back to this, how did this guy make it here? And how did, I don't know, man. <laughs> Fear, uh, fear is a powerful weapon when you can get your bluff in on a lot of people. Oh, dude! And I think that's been a, that's been a lot of of people to get into rank. They they operate off of fear. You know, they are dictators essentially. They're not leaders. They're mm-hmm. dictators, and they get everybody. They get their bluff in on everybody, and they people think that they're going to lose their their position, lose their job, lose their livelihood, all that kind of stuff. So they just basically cower to the fear and it's like man there's a whole lot more of us than there is of dictators or people that want to operate like that mm-hmm. um and hell that's why we're misfits yep we'll keep it <laughs> yeah we'll keep it that's what we're here for but anyway guys well that's just a little bit of the lessons learned and stuff from harvey um i know that's some some a uh, little bit of a little bit of hard stories to listen to but I just wanted to uh, to mainly give a shout out to all the people that that endured everything with me and, and all the chaos and um, basically the the just absolute devastation that Harvey was for the the whole Texas coast um, and just how proud I am for the people that I worked with and and their sacrifice of of just getting after it. I mean, they were the true definition of of what firefighters are supposed to be. Um, through the hard times and the easy times, I mean, you get out there and, and help. And you sacrifice your own health, you sacrifice your own well-being to make sure that you do the best you can for the community. And that is the damn banner that yeah, we absolutely. should all live under. So anyway, well, uh, guys, everybody give us a like, give us a share on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, check out the website. We've got a couple more things that we've added on there. 
Um, we are now on uh, Spotify, Apple, and uh, Google Play. We're finally recognized by Google as a legit podcast. So uh, we're on there. Um, y'all just continue to, to get the word out and, and share with all your friends and help us uh, move this move this group further and uh, start making some change in the fire service and, and, and bring it back to the people that it matters to. Yeah. And also, guys, so if you have a situation that happened in your department and you, and you want to remain anonymous, uh, send us your stories. We'd like to review them and talk about them and stuff like that and give you our perspectives on it, you know, because we're not the only – well, I, I got it pretty good. But you're not the only one that goes through this. You know, we'd like to hear yeah. what everybody else has to say, too. And, you know, we'll, you know, we'll give you uh, review it, do give you a little bit of feedback and maybe air it if you let us. So Yeah, yeah. You can message on Facebook. I mean, we've already gotten several people that it, it's pretty cool. You know, they live out of state, live far, far away. And they're like, man, it's spot on. That's exactly what we're going through at, at our department. And it's just it's pretty crazy. But it shows absolutely everything we're trying to do with this tailboard misfits movement. Um we want people to know you're not alone. Literally, the struggles in, in the fire service as a complete industry are basically all the same. The yeah. patches just look different on your shirt. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, we're, we're all in this together because we're the one making the runs. We're the ones out there risking our ass. We're not sitting in a swivel chair. We're not in the damn city council meeting kissing the, the mayor's ass or the city manager's ass or, or anything like that. We're the ones that are doing it. So the community backs us. That, that's the real reality of it. When you when you go to a community member and, and everything, the, the trust and all that, that are our taxpayers that pay our payroll and everything, it's with the firemen. They love firemen. And so we just have to bring that back. We have to bring the power of the fire service back to the firefighters and then promote chiefs from us instead of chiefs coming in from outside or basically those of us that – that skated our way through the career, they weren't ever actually really firefighters and they were able to promote and get into these positions of rank and then they put like-minded people to them in positions of power over all of us, all, all the misfits, and then now they're running us out. But what the reality is, is, at the end of the day, the ones that are gonna go in the fires, the ones that are gonna make the saves, the ones that are gonna be able to handle the nasty med calls and all the bad trauma and all that step stuff. Step the fuck up. Yeah, the that's, ones that step the fuck up. Yeah, that's us. That's that's not that's not the dynamic of some of the leadership that we have. So as a whole, we just got to step up. I mean, we can't do anything about it right now. But this is a twenty thirty year plan. It's twenty thirty year plan to take this industry back over to be firefighters that are ran by firefighters and. You know, with all the good morals and characteristics that that entails, so that's what we're here for. That's what we're pushing. Uh, I know a lot, a lot of folks that may not like that, but if if you don't, then you just need to look in the mirror and see it. Are you, are you living true to what a real firefighter is and what a real firefighter is willing to do for themselves, their community, and their other fellow firefighters? Because that's what it comes down to, um, and that's what we're pushing. Yeah. So. Anyway, well. Um, Gunner, that's it, my man. You got it. All right. Well, uh, y'all, uh, y'all say thank you for all the people that uh, that responded during Harvey and and uh, all you that did out there. Just know that I'm proud of you, and, and uh, I know you worked your ass off um, across the board. So, uh, anyways, we'll see y'all on the next one.